You were both in my dream last night. I went to sleep thinking about this, slightly anxious. And uh, you're both in my dream. But I don't think, I think I should wait to tell you a, the ending of the dream until the end of the show. So maybe everyone will keep listening. Did, did you kill us? I mean, I'm definitely the one who lives. Let's get real. But only because Matt sacrifices himself. It was very action movie, original Mission Impossible styles. But I can't tell you which one of you lives and which one of you perishes. <laughs> yes, I want to know. I want to know uh, what height I was in your dream. I have no idea how tall either of you are. I know. That's what makes us even better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think this is a great point to say, welcome, Emily, to the to the show hosting team. We should we should actually introduce this person who is not Anna uh, to to our show here today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> 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 oh, irreplaceable Anna, though. Anna's taking a, a couple of weeks off and maybe some some episodes off in the future. And uh, joining us will be Emily. Howdy. I'm a person who says howdy. What is it you say you you would say you do around here, Emily? I believe my official job description is fix things. Uh, unofficially, ops and analytics. I try to make sure we all work better together and have the right systems and people and tools in place to be able to do that. Cool. That's great. That's the brief version. I mean, how much time do I have? That's all the time we have for today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, with that, we should probably jump into some Watchtower Weekly. <laughs> all right. So this first one, Google, Meta, and others will have to explain their algorithms under new EU legislation. So the EU bloc has agreed on the broad terms of the Digital Services Act, or the DSA, which will force tech companies to take greater responsibility for the content that appears on their platforms. New obligations include removing illegal content and goods more quickly, explaining to their users and researchers how their algorithms work, and taking stricter action on the spread of misinformation. Companies face fines of up to 6% of their annual turnover for non-compliance. So, big fines. The wording isn't final, but here are a few points that it might cover. So the first one is targeted advertising. So based on an individual's religion, sexual orientation, or ethnicity is banned, minors uh, cannot be subject to targeted ad advertising either. Uh, so the next one is dark patterns. So confusing or deceptive user interfaces that are designed to steer users into making certain choices will also be prohibited. Uh, the EU says that, as a rule, cancelling subscriptions should be as easy as signing up for them. I, I really like that one. The, the, the companies that make you phone up uh, in order to cancel subscriptions, uh, they're, they're going to have problems with this. So... Large platforms, uh, large online platforms like Facebook will have to make the working of their recommender algorithms, the ones that are used for sorting content on things like the news feed or even suggesting TV shows like on Netflix, uh, they've got to make these transparent to users. So users should also be offered a recommender system not based on profiling. In the case of Instagram, for example, this would mean a chronological feed order uh, as it introduced recently. Hosting services and online platforms will have to explain clearly why they have removed online illegal content, as well as give users the ability to appeal such takedowns. Uh, the DSA itself 
does not define what content is illegal, though. It leaves this up to individual countries. Uh, the largest online platforms will have to provide key data to researchers to provide more insight into how online risks evolve. Online marketplaces must keep basic information about traders on their platform to track down illegal uh, individuals selling illegal goods or services. And large platforms will also have to introduce new strategies for dealing with misinformation during crises, uh, a provision inspired by the recent invasion of Ukraine. The, the rules will apply to all companies uh, 15 months after the act is voted into law or from January 1st, 2024, which is uh, whichever is latest. So this is, this is huge. Uh, obviously, this applies to EU countries only, but as we've seen with other things, it does tend to be like, I'm going to introduce this once, I might as well introduce it only once. Uh, and it also means that, you know, there are certain companies, I think, that will try and withhold their products uh, from from us over the pond as well. Yeah, this is, uh, there's some things in here that I, I certainly like to see, but I, I think that taking it up a level uh, and talking about it in more general sense, having global legislation be applied just because it's being applied in, in a large subset of the world is, is kind of neat to see, right? Like we got, we saw it with GDPR, we'll probably see it again with this. Uh, I like that because it's not just all focused on the U S making changes then that then, you know, we have to worry about getting through on our side. Yeah, I mean, I must say in my recent trip to the uh, to the US, I did appreciate when using the internet that I didn't have to accept cookies on every single website. Uh, but there was still a large portion of them that I did. Uh, so obviously, you know, there are some websites and services that do have kind of like one rule for the world and others that are just like, I'm going to target only the countries that I need to with this stuff. Yeah. Increasing visibility into how things work is a great thing. And if the goal is for these large online platforms to have to explain and detail essentially to the world in a public way how this works, that's great. It's going to increase, you know, the general population's overall literacy on the matter. And to me that's that strikes me as really important. That is an incredibly sensible angle that I hadn't thought of at all. Okay, so this next one is terrifying uh, because I use the keyboard shortcut for muting myself and, uh, you know, shout things and, and all that kind of stuff and then unmute myself and talk sensibly on a meeting. Uh, but this one is, uh, you're muted or are you? Uh, so video conferencing apps may listen even when your microphone is, is muted or off. No. <laughs> <laughs> so this started with someone being on a, a video conference with the microphone muted uh, when they noticed that the microphone light was still on, indicating uh, that their microphone was being accessed. Uh, they found that all of the apps that they tested occasionally gather raw data while mute is activated. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> With one popular app gathering information and delivering it to its servers at the same time, regardless of whether the microphone was muted or not. So with a camera, uh, you can turn it off or even put your hand over it. And no matter what you do, no one sees you. Uh, that doesn't exist for microphones, essentially. It turns out in the vast majority of cases, when you mute yourself, 
these apps do not give up access to the microphone. And that's the problem. When you're muted, people don't expect these apps to actually uh, collect data. Uh, and that was from Mr. Farwaz, the, the person who, who started this report. So I, I think the terrifying thing about this is when you're muted, I guess people assume that, you know, because it's not recording or it mutes out that part of the recording or it doesn't deliver it or anything like that, that the information somehow doesn't go anywhere. So they're actually going to present their recordings uh, and their results at the Privacy Enhancing Technologies Symposium uh, in July. So we can see more about how they're doing it and uh, what they're looking at then. I use the mute button so that none of you hear me sigh. (laughs) 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 But to me, that's a really black and white function. Like you are, the app is utilizing the microphone or it's not and but i guess mute is different than that true access level to your microphone why do they want that is that an oversight or was that intentional that's an oversight that's an oversight right let's give them the benefit of the doubt unless they want to start you know connecting information of what happens while you're on mute to other stuff sentiment analysis of of how many times you sigh in a meeting this woman sighs a lot 97 <laughs> percent of participants found this call boring <laughs> yeah oh my goodness oh that would be terrifying the interesting thing is that they in this study they talk about they observed that it occasionally gathered raw audio data while mute is activated so it sounds like it was also inconsistent Okay, so some heavy information for this next one. So American phone tracking firm demoed surveillance powers by spying on the CIA and NSA. So Anomaly 6, introduction, Emily. We talk sometimes about random uh, hacking groups and security groups that have, let's just say, companies or groups that sound like they've been named by 13-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Uh, who have watched too many spy movies. (laughs) This is a secretive government contractor, uh, and we generally rate hacking groups, but I'm going to make an exception here. Anomaly 6, or A6 as they're called, uh, to, I guess, their friends. Out of 10, where do we rate this name? A6, for sure. I mean, that it even has uh, an abbreviation makes it stand out. (laughs) I'm thinking we can only go with six. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so Anomaly 6, a a secret government contractor claims to monitor the movement of billions of phones around the world and unmask spies with the press of a button. Uh, This one's reported in depth uh, with a great article uh, from The Intercept, so I would highly recommend uh, taking a look at the show notes and uh, heading over there. So... Two obscure American startups met to discuss a potential surveillance partnership that would merge the ability to track movements of billions of people via their phones with a constant stream of purchased data directly from Twitter. So according to Brendan Clark of Anomaly 6, the combination of its cell phone location tracking technology with the social media surveillance provided by Zignal Labs to effortlessly spy on Russian forces as they amassed along the Ukrainian border, or similarly track Chinese nuclear submarines to prove that the technology work, 
uh, Clark pointed A6's powers inward, spying on the National Security Agency and CIA using their own cell phones against them. So the firm claims that it can track roughly 3 billion devices in real time, equivalent to a fifth of the world's population. The staggering surveillance capacity was cited during a pitch to provide A6's phone tracking capabilities to Signal Labs, a social media monitoring firm that leverages its access to Twitter's rarely granted firehose data stream, which, which basically means it's hundreds of millions of tweets per day without restriction. Putting these two kind of pieces together, um, d- does that mean that Chinese nuclear submarines are tweeting? <laughs> that's, that's quite a... I, I'm not sure how I, I feel about that. So with their powers combined, ASICS proposed uh, Signal's corporate and governmental clients could not only surveil global social media activity, but also determine who exactly sent certain tweets, where they sent them from, who they were with, where they'd been previously and where they went next. This enormously augmented capability would be an obvious boon to both regimes, keeping tabs on their global adversaries and companies, keeping tabs on their employees. The, the, The possibilities of awfulness are quite high. It's the kind of, uh, just uh, touching on the data stream from Twitter, it's the kind of thing that if it didn't exist, someone would build it. And so uh, instead, Twitter is making money off of the fact that they can they can monetize this part of their business and provide it. What I don't like is that this seems like a Mission Impossible movie script. It was from my dream. <laughs> you guys in my dream last night about Mission Impossible. I hope we were on the good side there. <laughs> I mean, we're the product. Right? This is how that works when it's free. We're the product. The amount of effort that it must take in terms of like computing power, storage online, all of that type of thing to track three billion devices in real time. It, it's like ordering all of the world's haystacks in order to find a needle, right? Really and truly. Well said. It's so true. Just picturing many overheated data centers. I wonder if we just stopped doing that, whether it would make an effect on climate change. There we go. I think we've solved it. You've solved it, Matt. Yeah, it's always interesting seeing how folks talk about using data to, you know, keep tabs on our global adversaries. Like, okay, great. But it's incorporating so much more than that. And that's such, it feels like lipstick on the pig kind of thing. And talking about, you know, we this we want to do this to keep keep tabs on people, keep tabs on the bad guys. But in doing so, we're also we can't do that to the exclusion of I'm using air quotes the good guys data. And so it gets really muddy. How do we control for ethics in this? Can we? That's a really good point because, like, what if they decided to, as several startups do, pivot <laughs> and and just decided to use this uh, data for some other reasons? <laughs> Okay, so stopping by this week uh, for This Week in One Password is uh, Director of Product Management, Mitch Cohen. Mitch is here today to discuss the exciting launch of One Password 8 for Mac, uh, take us behind the scenes and how it was built, dive into all the incredible new design details and features. So welcome to the show, Mitch. How is your week going? I'm asking that on Monday at about 10.30 a.m., so I imagine it's just getting started. Uh, thanks, Matt. It's always fun for you to be sort of in the future and having had so much done and I'm just getting up in the morning with my coffee when I first talked to you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're, you're my week right now. So uh, let's make it a great week. 
That sounds amazing. So let's start uh, with the origins of, of One Password 8. Every, every good Mac app needs a good origin story. What was the, the, the kind of the goal that we were heading towards with, let's, let's say, Mac in particular for now? Well, flat out, the goal was to make the most impressive Mac app we've ever made. Uh, we've been around since 2006 on the Mac, so you know we had a reputation. But I, I think we, for a while, were sort of coasting on our reputation, and I think that we need to really earn the title of the world's best password manager by making the app that much more full-featured, that much more beautiful, that much faster. So we, we threw everything we had into this one. And for the Mac app in particular, we just... Our main goal is just to impress people, just to have you upgrade from 1Password 7 or maybe from 1Password 6 and say, wow, just like the, the moment you open it, this is fast, this is beautiful, this has incredible new features. I, I mean, certainly from the, you know, from the design side, I'm, I'm biased, I'm going to talk about the design side quite a bit, like it, it, even down to some of the decisions that we've been able to make again. Like, you know, does this icon here make sense? Well, we've had it for 15 years. Like, that, that's not an answer anymore, which I love about this new Mac app. Like, we've, we've rethought so much in kind of the tiny little details. Um, you know, and, and nothing has been kind of inherited by default as well. We've, we've rethought everything that comes through. My, one of my favorite things, and this sounds really, really daft, but one of my, my favorite things are the new back and forward arrows. They're, they're a little chubby on, on the ends, right? Like it's not a normal arrow. They've got, they've got a little bit of weight towards them. And uh, it, it goes to kind of, it, it goes to show our new icon set, which I think, you know, you kind of take for granted sometimes. But uh, man, we've had so much fun kind of redesigning every one of these icons. And, you know, they, they've had tweaks. I know we, I know we have Linux out. I know we have a, a bunch of uh, kind of desktop apps out and stuff, but like we've we rethought all of these since then as well, which is which has been great fun. Oh yeah, I mean the the icons, they're such a huge part of the app because when you open One Password, what you're looking at is all your data and you know your logins, your credit cards, your identities, your bank accounts, and every single icon in the app. Um, and of course, I mean, you could talk about this, I'm sure, forever, Matt, but, but every icon has been redone. I don't think there's a single asset from 1Password 7 that's in 1Password 8. Everything from, you know, the, the, the imagery you'll see all the time down to, like, the littlest plus signs and, and pencil icons and, and parts of the app that maybe you won't even notice. But we really just critically went over every pixel and debated it to get the best result in a clean room environment, which was something we hadn't done before since I would say since one password four, it's been that long since sort of this much focus went into every corner of the app and, and, and figuring out what's the best experience, what's the most modern experience. So kind of going back to, to where we were, the, the Linux and windows app came out before Mac. Uh, what, what did we kind of learn from those releases and how did they inform the, the development of the Mac app and, and how it is now? So I think the last time we were talking, Matt, was actually right before the Linux release, which was a year ago. And what's interesting is that at the time, we actually didn't know how long it would take to go from Linux to Windows to Mac, because one of the goals of the new desktop apps were to move faster and to build them all at once. But even still, it actually took exactly a year. Uh, and in between, there was Windows, halfway between Linux and Mac. So what we learned was we learned the parts that we could share that 
we could get done at the same time for, for all these platforms. And we also realized uh, that there was about six months of dedicated work per platform, which, and, and for the Mac, I would say there was even more of it and it, and it was more intense because as, as people know, uh, there's just so much attention to detail on every aspect of, of Mac hardware and software. And we just really had to make sure we got that right when building 1Password 8 for Mac. What's your favorite thing that we've added specifically for the Mac app in the, in the last six months? There are some new features that I'm really excited to talk about. But actually, my favorite Mac-specific touch that we added is vibrancy, which is a technical term for the, the beautiful translucent effect that you get on sort of windows and sidebars and menus in macOS. We, we sort of later in the game figured out that if we could add it, it would, it would really make the app feel much more at home in macOS and have just a really subtle sort of blending with the rest of the system. And we, we've put it in a handful of places, and I think it really enhances the experience. Okay, I'm going to go with mine now. I'm going to answer my own question. Uh, bad interviewer 101. Uh, like, I think the the little animations when you add uh, e- either a new window comes in or a drop down or something like that, I, I think they add so much. And I, I think because we spent quite a while tweaking them, that's the reason why it's my favorite feature. Uh, but that that one's... Like it's gonna get missed by ninety nine percent of uh, of our users, I'd bet. But uh, I'm sure they're all left with the feeling of like, oh, this didn't, you know, come in too fast. Uh, it glides in nicely. <laughs> yeah, so much of what's in the app, you probably won't even notice most of the time. You'll just have a general sense of feeling happy and and at peace. And that's sort of what we're going for. Like when there's an animation, you shouldn't look and say, oh, it's animating. You should just feel that it's a smooth experience. And uh, you're not exaggerating, uh, Gab and others and, and Benji spent months just tweaking these animations to get the exact right duration and, and sort of the easing in and easing out. And even then, we, we put in the work to respect the system settings. So if you turn on a reduced motion, you'll actually, you'll still get some of these transitions. They'll just um, respect the setting and be even more subtle. And there's, there's such a difference between having an animation and putting in the work to make it feel just sort of a smooth part of the experience. And every little thing in one password eight should reflect that level of polish and attention to detail. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I, I will add, that wasn't the only thing that they were doing for months, uh, but they <laughs> they were going back and forth on it for a long time. Um, so we, we released a, an EA, an early access version of the Mac app last year. Uh, we got a whole bunch of user feedback from that. What what types of of things did we change, and and can people see kind of reflected in the final app that we that we changed from that feedback? So the early access process was fascinating. We had never done something like that before, and we hadn't ever released a beta that early before, right? The early access came out in August. So when you compare the app that came out in August to the one that that we're releasing now. Um, they're almost totally different apps. I mean, we, we had just most of the development cycle for one password app for, for one password for Mac happened between the early access and now. And what was great about it was we were actually able to use sort of the aggregate user feedback to figure out what areas to focus on. So right when we released the early access, there were a lot of questions about performance. And to be honest, the early access already performed pretty well. Uh, in our benchmarks, it was similar to one password seven but there was just so much interest in performance, memory use, and battery life that it actually created a new goal for us, which was to make the app 
not just you know fast enough, which has always sort of been our goal, but to make it the most obviously fast Mac app on your Mac. And we just put so many cycles into iterating the resource use and the performance that you can now take this app and you'll notice how fast it is when you use it, how responsive it is. And you look at its resource use, it's it barely touches your battery or CPU. You can have it open all day, which which is important for a password manager that you're always running all the time. So I would say that's that's we, we already had plans that we continued to iterate on after the early access, but the community helped us really make performance one of the primary goals of the new release. That's really great because my 16-inch MacBook Pro that is not M1, that is not any of the new nice stuff, t- still has a touch bar, uh, is starting to to feel a bit low on the old performance. And, and so I, I feel like, uh, you know, this is, this is going to help me out huge, <laughs> huge times. Um, so I, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to jump off script here. What, what's your favorite feature, uh, of, of the Mac app kind of overall, like what, what are the big ones that you feel like you need to, to talk about? So this podcast would be remiss if we didn't talk about the newest and Mac exclusive feature that's coming out in One Password 8, and that's a feature we're calling Universal Autofill. And I love everything about this feature, not least of all because it came at the 11th hour. We, we sort of had all our plans ready, and then we discovered that we could add this new feature that completely transforms the Mac experience. And literally a bunch of us just got together, we got in a plane to go build this thing. And what Universal Autofill is, is it actually lets you use the autofill capabilities of 1Password anywhere on your Mac. So previously, you could only use autofill in your web browser, but now you can use it just the same in any Mac app, like in Zoom or Spotify. You can also use it in the terminal to fill in your your sudo password, and you can use it in prompts from macOS to fill your Apple ID and system password. So if you've been using 1Password for years, you just press command backslash, you can now do that anywhere on your computer and one password will fill your credentials and sign you in. And once we, we had this, there was no going back. Like this, this sort of became the one password experience for me. So I'm really excited for other people to get to experience it. I have to do this on Zoom so much. Like, I, I don't know why, but Zoom seems, seems to like dislike me and, and sign me out all the time. And just the fact that I can like click on the the menu icon. Yes, I'm a curmudgeon and don't use keyboard shortcuts. Uh, <laughs> I, I click on the, the the menu icon and just go autofill, and like it fills it straight into the app. Uh, it's it's so good. Uh, I I think um, I, I think it's going to be such a really like learned thing as well. Like you, you you do it twice, and then like that's just it. Just feels like it's part of the system. Uh, I'm I'm almost uh, sad that we don't get more credit for each time that we do this because it feels so like ingrained into the system. It really does feel like it honestly feels like it's always been in one password, which is always for me the mark of a good feature. When we add something and then if it's not working because of a bug, like it feels like the app completely broke, like that means the feature is just not necessary and there's no going back and. I've been using it every day. I know uh, everyone I've introduced it to you too has started using it, and I just really can't wait to see um, how our overall user base, who has been using One Password all these years, without this just groundbreaking change, I, I, I'm really excited for people. And speaking of workflows and respecting workflows, that's been high on our mind throughout this entire process too. We recognize how critical One Password is as a tool that people use every day, so. 
we want to make it very powerful. We also want to make it not annoying. And, and believe it or not, that was one of the goals of 1Password 8, to have 1Password be there when you need it and not be there at other times. So one example of that is it has a lot more just automatic background smarts. So it won't pop up a, a screen in your face asking you to update all the time. It'll just figure out when it needs to update when you're not using it, and the new version will be ready to go when you, when you need to use it. I would say another great example of that is a new feature called 1Password Quick Access, which is the way you're going to be interacting with 1Password most of the time, at least outside of your web browser. So when you press the keyboard shortcut or you use the menu icon to bring it up, you get this very minimal window called Quick Access, and it's inspired by, by Spotlight and tools like Alfred, and it really just has as much information as you need to, to be able to access your credentials and then get out of your way. And those of you who have been using 1Password for a long time might actually notice that it replaces a previous feature which we had called 1Password Mini. And I, I know a lot of people are fans of 1Password Mini and had questions about this, so I, I did want to talk about it a bit. Uh, Matt, were you much of a 1Password Mini user? I was, but again, no keyboard shortcuts or mouse. So I was, I was one of the weird ones. Okay, so... So if you've used 1Password Mini before, you'll know that it had a, an icon and you could open it up and you'd get like this little version of the full 1Password app on your screen. And it was pretty useful and convenient, but there was there was still too much there when you really just needed to, to fill a password quickly. And that's what most people need to do with 1Password most of the time. So with this new quick access feature, we really just focused on the fundamental use cases that people actually have with 1Password and everything else was kind of put off to the side. It's still there when you need it, it's just not gonna be in your face all the time. So you should notice a lot of that with 1Password 8. I would say, it, despite having more features, it's in many ways more minimalistic than 1Password has ever been, more quiet. And that's a good thing. I, I think it's gonna be one of those things that people just start to use. And like you say, it's it feels like it's been there forever. It, it feels like, oh, like, uh, what I want to see is maybe we have some sort of, uh, I don't know, forced downgrade after a couple of months just so people know what they're missing. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I'll get that one past anybody, uh, but I think it would make people appreciate the new app and all the kind of really tiny nuances uh, that that kind of we nudge behavior almost uh, towards kind of, oh, I couldn't autofill here before, but like now it works. Uh, so I'm just going to try that every time. Uh, and I think like that shows the the level of attention that we put into not like not huge features, but things that feel uh, after you use them, like it's always worked like that. Yeah, I think um, another great example of that in the new app is the new watchtower. So uh, there are just so many little changes to that experience, but they feel natural because they're based on our own research and observations into how people were using watchtower. So for those who don't know, watchtower is our feature, which allows you to improve your security strength by seeing which passwords need to be changed, which ones are weak, uh, which websites have been compromised. And it's been in 1Password for a long time. But in 1Password 8, I would summarize the changes saying that Watchtower is so much more useful in 1Password 8. Because first of all, we focused on making it actionable. So previously, Watchtower would tell you, well, you need to change your password. But I mean, then what? Like, what do you do? 
in 1Password 8, there's a button, change password. There's a button, scan two-factor authentication code, and you just click on whatever the button is, and it helps you actually take action on, on the security issue. Um, and, and that's just one of sort of, I would say, about a dozen tweaks to the whole Watchtower experience uh, throughout. And you're going to discover them as you use it. And I hope we're actually going to encourage you to use this new feature with our beautiful new dashboard, which, again, I'm just so excited for everyone to see. Yeah, the the security score for me is uh, ha- has been on my list and something that I think the first version I actually designed, uh, and it's it's been kind of in hiding all of this time, uh, both from a code perspective, uh, literally hidden, and uh, you know something that we've been toying with. Uh, but I think it's it's really fun and the. I, th- I think I'm fascinated to see mostly how people are going to use this, right? Whether in a business setting, someone's going to be like, right, come on, let's uh, let's have a bit of a whip round to see who, you know, whose security score is the best. Um, but I, I think it also like, I, I really hope it acts as a bit of a prompt. So I, I'm sure there's the, you know, saved vaults that someone has shared with someone who is not that great at online security and, you know, kind of has a load of the default passwords in there. You know, skipping to that and seeing, uh, oh, this is this is bringing down my score. I I hope uh, I hope it really helps from that perspective. Yeah, the security score is great because we we were all excited about it, but it wasn't until recently that we all had the ability to actually experience it for ourselves. And originally, the algorithm for the security score was actually very permissive. So when we when we first built this this Watchtower score, we all opened up the app and we all had high scores and we all felt really good, but the algorithm was actually too permissive, and it was it was tweaked uh, a few weeks ago to be a bit stricter. And the next day, I opened up the app, and my security score had dropped down from fantastic to merely good. <laughs> and I felt something. I, I I felt like I had to stop and go fix my my weak passwords, and I did. And to be honest, it it had been a long time since I'd felt motivated to actually go improve things. Like for the most part. I only used Watchtower when I really had some external motivation to do better. But here was the app telling me you can do better and encouraging me to to change some of my passwords. And that was just overall a really great feeling. And I hope other people see that too. So I hope when when the score tells you, you know, you can do better, like, don't be disheartened. It, it wants to help you. And if you just follow Watchtower's advice, you'll quickly get that number up and get a score that makes you feel great about yourself. And you'll be a lot safer. Mine tells me I'm perfect. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, like don't, <laughs> don't experience that across anything. Uh, it just it tells me how good I am every time I uh, every time I wake up in the morning. I, I need proof, Matt. You, you got to tweet that. I need proof that's, of that. That's what I love about that feature. <laughs> so, how do I get my hands on this new app if I don't already have it? And how does it work with the browser extension? So, One Password Eight is a completely new app that we rewrote from scratch, and for that reason, among others, we're not automatically upgrading anyone to it from 1Password 7. I think it's important for people to actually go download and try it for themselves when they have a bit of time to to learn, you know, the new design and the new features. But it is really easy to upgrade to. If you go to our website, we'll have a big download button and we made just a really simple one-click installer. And if you have 1Password 7, it'll actually migrate you automatically and, and set you up. But you do have to do it. It's not going to happen behind your back or anything. I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah. We, we really want to respect people's time. We understand that, you know, 1Password is a tool for people. It's a productivity tool. And 
We don't want to just interrupt your workflow. So we, we want you to explore it and become comfortable with it on your own. Okay, so the dreaded question that I think every software team gets asked, but no one wants to answer. What's coming next to the Mac app? Uh, what, what will be the focus for the team over the next you know, month or so? So there are two answers to this. One of them is that one of the goals of 1Password 8 was to unify our development process. So in one sense, what's coming next to the Mac app is what's coming next to 1Password. From, from here on out, uh, those new features are going to be on all the desktop platforms at the same time. But for Mac specifically, we do have some follow-up work that we want to do based on beta feedback that didn't make it in time for release. So important ones are a much better importer, which can support our new export format, um, 1PUX, as well as the ability to drag fields around in the item editor and just more options for searching and sorting because those have all been very uh, high up on, on user requests. So you can expect those quality of life improvements coming shortly after release. But after that, I just have a list, and I know you do too, of big new features coming to 1Password throughout the year. And we'll talk about those when we get there. That's a great answer. Uh, finally, where can folks learn more about the, you know, the Mac app and, and our journey in getting here? So we have a great blog post from Dave Tier, the founder of 1Password. And it also links to a showcase, which just covers pretty much every feature we could think of. And there are literally dozens of new features. So I'd recommend reading both of those for more. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Matt. And uh, I hope the rest of your week does go well. It's off to a great start. <laughs> so to celebrate the launch of 1Password 8 for Mac, we are giving users the chance to win one year of with uh, one password for free and some one password swag. Uh, all you need to do is to tell us the weirdest thing you store in one password. This is. <laughs> Are we sure we want to do this? What? I. Are... I. I f... Why? Who wrote this? Excusez-moi. This is so good. No, I love it. Ship it. Right. So submit your entries using the Ask One Password hashtag on Twitter, or send us an email at podcast at onepassword dot com referencing the rbm giveaway please submit your entries by the 24th of may send us I, i'm sorry i'm not over the whole send us the weirdest thing you store in one password like we're gonna get we're gonna get like goat milk consistency records from a farmer out in the boondock somewhere like makes this soap. is I, I love legendary yeah yep can i please read some of them can i come back and read some oh of course 100%. yeah it would make me very happy yeah all right, so let's play Ridiculous Requirements. So, Emily, Ridiculous Requirements is the game where we work together to come up with passwords that fit the honestly terrible requirements. And this is not the advised way to usually generate passwords. But the requirements this week are a geographical region of the Netherlands, a sweet meringue-based filled sandwich, the, a centre of modern and contemporary art in Europe, a Parisian airport that serves as the principal hub of Air France, and your password must be made up solely of French presidents. <sighs> Good Lord. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. I feel like we should have learned our lesson with geography-based games back when Anna and I could not come up with 
the capital of Australia, okay? We need to stop. That was embarrassing. So a sweet meringue-based filled sandwich uh, would would be like a like a like a Macron or something like that, right? Which is also a French president. So it like you kind of hit two with that. Uh, A center of modern and contemporary art in Europe would be uh, uh, like the Louvre, I guess, geographical region of the Netherlands. This makes me mad because it's my it's my homeland, and I don't know it. But uh, we would. Oh, we would say like, um, uh, but also a French president technically skirting here, but Francois Hollande. Holland. Yes. Holland. <laughs> See? Did I win? I mean, Do I get a prize? You're getting, you're, yes, you're getting closer. You are halfway there. All right, so we have Holland, <sighs> Macron. I, I got I got nothing on these next two bullet points. Main airport in Paris uh, is okay. Charles so de, Gaulle. de Gaulle Airport and a center of modern okay. and contemporary art. Yeah. In Europe, is the Pompidou? No. Yeah, Centre Pompidou. Yes. That your password made up of solely pre- French presidents is Rue. Go for it. Oh man, it's it's Holland, Macron, Pompidou, De Gaulle. All right. Well, I guess it's time to say love you both and goodbye. Love you both. Bye. Oh my gosh, that's really cute. Okay, I love you both. Bye.